Security Secrets for Today's Dangerous World with Coast Guard veteran Greg Schaefer. Coming up next, I'm Veteran on the Move. Welcome to Veteran on the Move. If you're a veteran in transition, an entrepreneur wannabe, or someone still stuck in that J-O-B trying to escape, this podcast is dedicated to your success. And now, your host, Joe Crane. At Navy Federal Credit Union, we want you to know that we have your back. We've all faced tough challenges individually, but right now, we're facing some together. And the safety of our members, employees, and community is our first priority. All right, we're talking with Coast Guard veteran Greg Schaefer from Schaefer Security Group. Greg, before we get to talking about business and entrepreneurship, tell us what you did in the Coast Guard. Well, um, pretty much uh, I'm a Coast Guard Academy graduate, class of 84, go Bears. Um, and upon graduation from the Coast Guard Academy, my first assignment was on a high endurance cutter, the Coast Guard Cutter Chase out of Boston, Massachusetts. <laughs> and we did 100% at the time, it was 1984. So we did all drug interdiction patrols down in the Caribbean Basin. So I did that for two years and then was uh, honored to be selected to uh, command my own patrol boat. So I had an 82 foot patrol boat stationed on a Fort Myers Beach, Florida in the late 80s at the height of the drug wars. So yeah. we had a lot of fun doing search and rescue cases and drug interdiction cases. Um, I uh, think I still have the record for the largest marijuana seizure in the Gulf of Mexico. It was over 40 tons of marijuana. Wow. So I did that for a couple of years uh, and then went to uh, Coast Guard headquarters and was stationed there, actually was stationed on Capitol Hill in the Coast Guard liaison's office to Congress. So I worked with a couple other officers, and we uh, helped uh, push through Congress, Congress uh, Coast Guard-related um, uh, legislation. So a very interesting um, career there. Um, at that time, um, I started getting a lot of uh, attention from the DEA. Uh, I was testifying in a lot of trials on the drug seizures I made on the Coast Guard patrol boat. And all those seizures were made on DEA information. Uh, and intelligence and informants. So they started recruiting me heavily. And by the same time the DA was recruiting me, my younger brother, by three years, had joined the Secret Service. <laughs> so the federal law enforcement thing was kind of bubbling on the, on, the, on the sidelines there. So I looked into federal law enforcement and um, decided to go with the FBI. So after 11 years in the Coast Guard, which included my four years at the academy, I went to uh, the FBI academy and started my 20-year career there. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, so my wife and I just got, you know, we just finished up the Netflix series Narcos, so that really makes me an ah. expert now. <laughs> it's a great series, though. Yeah. It's very active, too. It's one of the few shows I watch that uh, <laughs> I, 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 they, they have really good consultants on that on that set. Yeah, I, I, you can you can tell it's it's very well done. It's, it's you know, It seems pretty real. But I was curious, during all the counter-drug stuff back in the 80s, and of course, still going on today, but how often did it ever result in, in any shooting? You know, it's uh, a good question. I get that asked quite a bit. The, the cartels at the time, and again, this is early eighties, late nine, uh, early late eighties, early nineties. Excuse me. Um, the drug cartels pretty much knew that they were getting in about ninety percent of the loads that they were shipping, hmm. and you know, the ten percent that we were stopping was just the cost of doing business. So uh, it was very rare, and it's even rare today. For the uh, maritime drug smugglers to fire upon the Coast Guard, um, one they're they're you know hugely outmanned and outgunned. Yeah, 
Um, but uh, <laughs> they knew that if they, or I, my, it's my opinion, they knew that if they killed a Coast Guard officer during a law enforcement boarding, that the wrath of God and the wrath of U.S. government would come down <laughs> a lot harder on them than it already was. So I think they were just pretty content in getting their 90% through and taking that 10% write-off. Yeah. So to answer your question, um, it never resulted in gunfire. All the hundred, actually thousands of boardings I did uh, in the Caribbean Basin, not a single one ever resulted in a gun battle. Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. They actually addressed that um, in the Narco series where the DEA agent who's, you know, the story's based off of these narrator. Basically, DEA agents were off limits, you know, mm-hmm. down even down in Colombia for, for that very same reason. They knew the wrath of the entire U.S. government would just. So, yeah, interesting stuff. So talk a little bit about um, you did go into you know, federal law enforcement. So now you retired from the FBI. Yes, I retired in 2015. Yeah. So how did you make your transition over uh, into the realm of entrepreneurship? Again, business real similar to you know some of the stuff you've been doing for, for many years. But you know, even though even though you're in Schaefer Security Group, you still you still hadn't run your own business. So what was that transition like? I like to tell you it was an easy transition, but <laughs> you know it, it's it just never a paradigm. Is. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a paradigm shifting the entire mindset. I mean, for 31 years, I'm working for you know the USG, mm-hmm. and they're giving me a paycheck every two weeks, whether I work hard or not. No, I like to think I was a hard worker, but you're getting paid every two weeks, um, and and all the uh, you know cases are pretty much dropping in your lap. Um, so the transition is this: when you leave the government and you need that paycheck, it's all on you. I mean, uh, you know, you, you, you become you know, a salesman, um, an accountant. Um, and then also, you know, uh, the production person doing the business, that it, it, whatever it is you choose to do. So you're, you become a jack of all trades and running every aspect of your new business. Uh, and the hardest thing for me to do was, you know, to, uh, again, change that mindset where if I want work, I got to find it. I could go out there and tell people why they need to hire me. Um, and, and in a security world, that's difficult because, you know, one of the most, I always tell everybody, I do a lot of public speaking. And one of the things I always tell my audience is one of the most difficult aspects of my job now as a risk manager and security consultant is getting good people to truly accept and truly understand that evil exists. And see, most of us, most of us have never been a victim of violent crime. Mm-hmm. So we all think it's not going to happen to me. Now that. That's true for individuals, and that's true for corporations. Well, we haven't had an active shooter. We never had a fire. You know, we never had a workplace violent incident. So why should all of a sudden it happen to us now? Well, that's being pretty naive because we do live in a more dangerous world. Um, you know, the most, you know, the greatest risk out there for most corporations is the the threat of an active shooter or workplace violence. Do Do you know that the number one cause for women to be to die in the workplace is from violence. And you can actually Google that. That, really? that shocked me when I first saw that, that the number one cause of death for women in the workplace, you'd think it would be stroke or heart attack. It's violence. It's domestic spillover mostly. It's their being in a uh, you know, violent relationship at home. Mm. And 
you know, for eight, 10 hours a day, Monday through Friday, their, you know, their spouse, boyfriend, whoever is victimizing them knows exactly where they're going to be. That's in the workplace. So that's the number one cause for, uh, for women to die in the workplace from violence. Wow. That's crazy. Huh? Um, <clears throat> so yeah, so you really find yourself in a position where you're, you're almost having to scare your potential clients into realizing that there is a serious threat out there and that's why they need to hire you. Yeah, I mean, put it uh, put it bluntly, it really is. You need to really make them think about that. And, yeah. and, and the hard thing about security too is there's no ROI, there's no return on investment. I can't show them that they're making money by hiring me. You know, most right, because if you've done your job, then nothing ever happens. And, exactly. And, and that's, we experience that in the military all the time, you know. You, you, we you know we have to be right all the time. The bad guys only have to get right once, and that that constant vigilance and the constant cost of security and everything else. Like eventually, like why do we need why do we need security? We never never had anything happen. Well, maybe you're not everything happening because you got security. So it's it's a hard sell, especially on the civilian side when you know, you're dealing with money in the bottom line. Exactly, as we say, you don't need security until you need security. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then it's too late. I mean, if something yeah, happens and they bring in security, you know, and if um, there's, um, you know, you see it in the, in, even w- in the current conflicts we're in and, and, and the, in the terrorist threat that's out there, y- your typical Americans totally oblivious to a lot of the threats that are, that are neutralized before they ever even make the news. And, you know, you can, you can get rid of things before they even really start beginning too much before, you know, before they even become a serious threat. A lot of times they've been found out and, and eliminated uh, before it gets to that point. And those are the things that never hit the news because nothing ever actually happened. Yeah, and, and the information and sources of the information are mostly classified as well. So it never, like I said, never see the light of day. Mm-hmm. But to, at the same time, you know, last year we had over 500 uh, what the FBI uh, determined or defines as a mass killing. Now, a mass killing is where four or more people are killed, not four or more people shot. Four more people are killed. There were 500 incidents of that last year, um, and that includes gang shootings, active shooter events, that sort of thing. And you get. And, and here's another stat I use too when I give my presentations that you'll find uh, intriguing, and that is um, there are 7.5 billion people in the world today. Conservative estimates state that 95% are good, solid, law-abiding people. Now, that's fantastic. 95% of the entire world are good people. But 5% are sociopaths, psychopaths, and stone-cold killers. And my question is this. What is 5% of 7.5 billion? Well, the answer is 375 million. Now, 375 million, to put in context, is every man, woman, and child in the United States and Canada combined. So the question is this. What do you think the chances are that you are going to run into or your family is going to run into one of those 375 million people in your lifetime? 375 million people who want to kill you because they enjoy it. You see, when a guy walks in to a Walmart store in El Paso, Texas on a beautiful, bright, sunny Saturday morning, he didn't just walk in there or wake up that morning and say, you know what? I'm going to kill people today. This has been planning and brewing his mind for days, weeks, possibly even months. And when he did that shooting, that was the best eight minutes of his life. He's never been happier. He's never been more fulfilled. 
That's the evil that we have to address. There are 375 million of them out there. And you know, we always say, wow, it's a small world. It's a small world. And it is a small world. So again, what do you think the chances are that you or one of your family members or your company is going to come across one of those 375 million sociopaths, psychopaths, and stone cold killers? I think it's pretty good. Yeah, especially when you put it that way. Yeah, thanks for scaring the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really is something. I, um, you know, haven't been in the Marine Corps for 24 years. I, I certainly realize evil exists out there. I've seen right. it. Um, yep. But, you know, the disheartening part, or maybe it's a good, I suppose it's probably a good thing. Most, of, the, most, most of our family members, friends, they have no idea. They have no idea. Yep. And, you know. I, I, I don't know if it's, ignorance, naivete, or they just don't want to accept the fact that there's evil out there. But, uh, you know, I wrote a book, Stay Safe, Security Seekers for Today's Dangerous World. You know, the subtitle, Today's Dangerous World. It is more dangerous. Again, FBI statistics show that there's an active shooter in America every three weeks or less. You know, again, it can happen in a Walmart in El Paso, Texas, or a small church where the congregation is less than a hundred. Uh, you know, it, it, you just don't know when it's going to happen, and you know what are you going to, what, you know, what are you going to do when it does happen to you? Because if you don't think about it beforehand, you're not going to develop a plan in the middle of the crisis. <laughs> yeah, you have to think about these things beforehand. You got to play it in your mind. You got to play the what if game. You got to have that situational awareness about you. You, you know, you still see people walking across you know, the streets in a busy crosswalk looking down at their phones and have no idea. They're completely oblivious of everything around them. And right. the bad guys know that, and that's who they target. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, hold that thought for a minute. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Uncertainty comes in many forms in military life, from unexpected changes in duty stations to sudden deployments. We've all faced tough challenges individually, but right now we're facing some together. We know our members will face these times head on. Still, at Navy Federal Credit Union, we want you to know that we have your back because uncertain times call for reliable service. No matter what, we remain committed to serving all of our members all the time. That means our branches will remain open as long as possible, and the safety of our members, employees, and community is our first priority. You can also get in touch with our world-class member service. Whether you're on ship or ashore, at home or abroad, We've had our members' backs for 87 years, in good times and bad. Maybe that's why we've been named one of the best military credit unions by U.S. News and World Report, serving active duty, veterans, and their families. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission, insured by NCUA. Where do you go to find on-demand talent? There's no doubt finding the right freelancer can be time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive. Whether you're launching your first business, scaling your current business, or if you're in need of some extra support to complete a project, Fiverr is here to help you evolve, adapt, and grow. Fiverr connects businesses with freelancers who offer hundreds of digital services, including graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, and more. In fact, several tasks involved in the production of this podcast are done by talented people we found on Fiverr. I've used Fiverr for over six years, and I've never been disappointed. You can search by service, deadline, price, reviews, and more. You'll know exactly what you're paying for up front. No negotiating needed. 24-7 customer service. It's quality talent you can count on. Check out Fiverr.com today and receive 10% off your first order by using my code VETERAN. Again, that's Fiverr.com, code VETERAN. All right, we're back talking with Greg Schaefer from Schaefer Security Group. Uh, hey, Greg, I, 
I don't really, I don't really go with uh, you know politics, and I know gun control is a very uh, heated and inflated subject these days, and has been for many years. Um, so I want to ask this in a way that um, you know doesn't really take us down a political <laughs> discussion. But do do you think um, you know from what you know from a security perspective, not not necessarily a political perspective, do you think that you know guns are the true enemy, or, or it's really all about the danger of, of guns in our society here in the U.S. Well, you're never going to get rid of the guns in America uh, for two reasons. One, it's part of our culture, and two, the Second Amendment. Um, you know, Again, I don't want to go down that political road either because this is a very hot topic. I, I personally do not think gun control will work. Um, but i tell you what I think does work. For your listeners to be safe, they really need to make sure that they, they have two things that, and that they train for these two things. And that is, one, having good survival mindset, and the second is having good situational awareness. The, the first two chapters of my book, Stay Safe, are titled Survival Mindset, Situational Awareness. So let's talk about two examples where that comes into play. The first one is the horrific events that occurred in Orlando, Florida a few years ago at the Pulse nightclub. The shooter walks in at 2.05 in the morning and starts shooting in the main dance floor hall. Nine people rush into a restroom for safety. Nine people cower in the corner. Now, they know there's killing going on out there. They, they, you know, they ran in there because of the gunfire. They can hear the screams of the dying. They run in the bathroom, and when Mr. Mateen, the shooter, walks in there, they, and I, I, I apologize, I do not want to speak ill of the dead, and I wasn't there. But I do know, I've seen after action reports, and I know what happened, is that the shooter walked in the bathroom, and he, you know, one shot at a time, killed all nine people in that restroom. So I, I had to ask myself, what was their survival mindset? They knew that he was there to kill people. Because I guarantee you, if you and I were in that restroom with seven other people, and we shut that door and he's not in there yet, we're going to say to ourselves, okay, I'm going to grab his weapon. You, you literally just grab him by the throat and choke him. You, the other person, you know, stab his eyes out with your high heel shoe or your pen or, you know, you tackle his legs, but nine of us, he's not going to defeat nine of us. No, how, no way mm-hmm. that we are going to end this right here, right now. When he walks in that bathroom and we're going to live because if we just sit and cower in the corner, what's going to happen? We die. So you have to have that mindset. Again, you, you got to go there in your mind. I always say in my training lessons, the body can't go where the mind has never been. And the former Marine Corps guy, you understand that. You know, we all know if we spontaneously combusted and our clothes caught on fire, what do you do? Well, we're all told since we're a young age, we stop, stop dropping the roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we need to do the same thing for active shooters. What, what are we going to do for active shooters? I mean, the hit rate on a moving target with a handgun is less than 4%. You have a 96% chance of not being shot by doing one thing that's running. Yeah. And the average distance that a shooter kills his victims in an active shooter event is less than five feet. It's those that cower behind the desks or under the desk or behind the counter or cower in the corner of the bathroom. Those are the ones that make easy targets. When a shooter walks into a church and shoots, who does he shoot at? The people running out the back door or those cowering in the pews? He shoots the easy target. So have that survival mindset. You got to tell yourself it's not going to happen to me. And you have that mindset no matter where you go. I know it's a little long-winded, but 
survival mindset is critical. You, you have to have the will to live. And when your life, you know, when you stare, um, um, you, have a, you have a gun staring at your face, pointed at you. Your life comes down to one question. Do you hope or do you act? Do you hope he doesn't shoot you or you do something about it? And doing something about it could be something as easy as running with that 4% hit rate. Right. And then the other thing. And, yeah. Keep going. And then, and again, chapter two of my book, Situational Awareness, you know, you, you, you got to know who's in the room with you. What are they doing? Where are the exits? What are the windows made of? Have a plan. You, you can't walk around with your head burying a cell phone or your head in the clouds. And a perfect example of having poor situational awareness, which you know proved to be be fatal, is that again that horrific uh, terrorist event in Nice, France, a few years ago, where a 19-ton truck—that's a large truck—traveling at 40 to 45 miles an hour for close to a mile, he ran over and killed 88 people and injured 400. How how do you run over 88 people? I mean, a few years ago on Halloween uh, in New York City, uh, a guy rented a, a Home Depot truck and ran over and killed seven people. Now, I, I'll give you seven. You can run into a crowd of seven people and kill them all. But how do you kill and run over 88 people? Because I guarantee you, if, if you and I were walking on that promenade on Independence Day, French Independence Day, and we're, you know, walking down the street, watching the fireworks or having a beer, whatever the case is, if there's a truck on the pedestrian promenade traveling at 45 miles an hour behind us for a mile, I think we're going to sense that. We're going to hear the screams, but something's going to alert our senses to tell us something is not right behind us. Maybe we should get off the street. And yeah. that's, again, that comes out of situational awareness. And again, I don't mean to speak ill to dead. I really don't. But um, you got to ask yourself the question, what was their survival mindset and what was their situational awareness in those two instances? Well, you know, I think obviously 24 years in, in the Marine Corps and being an attack helicopter pilot and spent doing a couple of combat flying tours in Iraq and all the training and everything else, it, I, I've always, you know, sometimes I question myself as maybe I'm being too hypervigilant about things. But, <laughs> I mean, I'll be sitting in church. I'll be sitting in church and I daydream this whole scenario about some dude walks in from behind yeah. the stage back there and start shooting. What would I do? And I, I got like the whole thing playing out in my head. What I, you know, of course it's different when the shooting starts, but I get thoughts go through, through my head like that all the time. And it's not sick or crazy or weird thoughts. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm running through my, you know, running through my action plan, um, you know, exactly. immediate action plans all the time, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing. And even to this day, I can't go running with headphones in and yep. You, like I think it's still the same, but like it used to be on, on any, any military base, you were not allowed to run with headphones on. It was because they didn't want they didn't want you to get hit hit you know not hearing a car coming. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, I got I so used to that I can't change years it. In Marine Corps, Joe, that that's ingrained in you. Uh, you know, um, which is great. I mean, society needs people like you and I. You know, that we you know the term sheepdogs. We're all sheepdogs. Yeah, but the problem is, you know, if I leaned over in church and said to my wife. Hey, honey, if somebody came in from the back of the stage right there, like, and started shooting people, what would you do? That's not going to go over very well. <laughs> I mean, people are going to think you're wacko thinking well, like that. Uh, you know, <laughs> I caught you know, a lot of people say, you know, it's par- I don't want to be a paranoid. I want to. I don't want to go, you know, around my life being paranoid. Yeah. And my response is, it's not paranoid; it's preparedness. And there's a difference. 
I don't I don't expect you to cower and look around every corner, around every bush, you know, thinking there's a, you know, an evil serial killer hiding behind it. But you should be aware of those dark corners and be aware of people who are, are, are approaching you. You know, there's a great book out there by Gavin DeBecker called The Gift of Fear. And, uh, you know, basically bottom line is your body can pick up on vibrations and senses and you cannot not articulate why you feel that way. But uh, I, again, as a, an attack helicopter pilot, a lot of times you sense that things are going to go bad before they went bad, that you picked up on something and you, you, you cannot tell me what that something was, but the hair on the back of your neck stood up and you're, and you're telling yourself, okay, get ready, oh, Joe, yeah. things are about to go bad. Because I know in, in some of the gun battles I got in overseas, I knew they were going to happen before they happened because of that gift of fear. So just just trust that gut. It doesn't lie to you. Yeah, I've had yeah. all sorts of I've heard all sorts of weird, subtle sounds in my own house and other places where that sound actually was an indication of a serious problem. And I heard it, and nobody else in the room even paid attention to it. And they're like, "How did you even?" I'm like, "Dude, I'm a helicopter pilot. My, my survive. The reason I'm still here today is because I hear you know my hearing." different sounds and strange sounds, my survival relied on it. You know, just hearing something going wrong with the helicopter. Well, like, exactly. Just, just, a, just a short change in pitch and a vibration. Yeah. And you, something's wrong with my helicopter. Yeah, exactly. And, and for women, here's what I tell the women, and I'm sure your wife did the same thing, is I asked all the women in the audience, I said, okay, ladies, think about when you were dating and some good-looking guy has a good job, he asked you out on a date, and you say no. And all your girlfriends are like, you know, why did you say no to the guy? He's got a good job. He's a handsome dude. Why did you say no? And your response is this, ladies. I don't know. There was just something about him. Okay, that's gift of fear. That's gut instinct. That's mm-hmm. women's intuition. Call it what you will. But every woman in the audience raises their hands and says, yeah, I've been there. I've felt that before. I said, that's what I'm talking about. That's what you need to listen to. Yeah, but we as humans, we rationalize our fears away. You yeah, know, we sense something. We say, "Ah, oh, I'm just being paranoid," or "Ah, oh, you know, I don't want them to think I'm Islamophobic or racist or whatever the case is." That mm-hmm. we ignore those warning signs and continue on, and then get ourselves in trouble. Yeah, you know, an- another analogy, aviation analogy, is when you learn how to fly a new aircraft, you learn you learn what to do if anything goes wrong. So all you're doing in the beginning is learning about what to, how to deal with all the things that go wrong. The, the interesting thing is you don't even know what, what normal sounds like yet or what normal feels like. So in the beginning, you learn all the things to do if something goes wrong. You're constantly practicing what it's like for everything to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And then when you, when you get past the training, the initial training, now you're just flying day to day and typically nothing goes wrong. So now you're getting used to what it is after you get through training, you now you have to get used to what it is, what normal is. Right. And after, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours, you really get used to what normal is. But because you were trained initially to know what to do when something goes wrong, when something goes wrong, it just it becomes blatantly obvious because you have thousands of hours of normal, but yet you're cued into what, what to do when something happens that's wrong. Well stated. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it, it, it's really the same thing. We, every day we go through our lives dealing with normal. If you're, you know, if you have that fearful notion or if you have enough training or awareness training and that kind of thing, when something appears that's not normal, hopefully you'll identify it and at least be able to take action or, you know, step away from the situation, that kind of thing. Yep. 
Exactly. Yeah. And if you and you haven't thought about it in your mind, you're not going to do it either. I mean, just like I said, you're not going to develop you're not going to develop a plan. You know, when your engine fails uh, or an engine on fire, if, had, had you not thought about that and gone through it, you know, in your mind a thousand times or gone through it a thousand times uh, in the uh, simulator, uh, you, you're not going to develop a plan in the middle of the crisis. Is you you're just not? You're going to freeze in fear. Yeah. So, Greg, we'll try to put a uh, a link in the show notes for your book. What, g- give us the name of it again, and where where else we might find it. It's uh, Stay Safe, Security Secrets for Today's Dangerous World. It's doing extremely well. Um, it's on Amazon right now. Actually, it's on sale for, I think, like $10 right now. So it usually goes for like 15 but it's on sale right now for $10. Uh-huh. So um, it's a very easy read. Uh, it's only 10 chapters long. You can probably read it in three or four hours. And it gives you tips for travel, tips on how to make your home more secure, uh, your, your company more secure. It talks about school and church security and safety. Um, talks about uh, when minutes matter, you're caught up in an active shooter event, what do you do? And then, like I said, the first two chapters concentrate on uh, that survival mindset and the situational awareness. Um, so uh, it's doing extremely well, much better than my uh, than my uh, publisher ever dreamed imaginable as a, as a first-time author. So I'm very happy about that. And uh, no, look at the book and, and, and let me know what you think. And how do, how do, if somebody's interested in the security business or want to talk to you about what you've done, um, the Schaefer Security Group, how would they might go about contacting you there? Uh, best way is just go to my website, and that's SchaeferSecurityGroup.com. And the trick to that is to spell Schaefer correctly. It's S-H-A-F-F-E-R, SchaeferSecurityGroup.com. Awesome. If you're talking to somebody that's on the way out of the military, looking to start their own business, get into entrepreneurship, what kind of advice would you have for them? Um. Best advice I can say is surround your people, surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. Uh, don't reinvent the wheel. Whatever field you're looking to get into, talk to those in that same field who are successful. They want to share their secrets. They they want to prevent you from running into the same roadblocks they um, you know, had to overcome. So. Uh, Surround yourself with good people. Do your research on, on what companies are in your field that are success, successful and mimic them. Um, th- that'd be my best advice. I, I, you know, I did some, some great security companies out there and some great individuals uh, that have helped me a lot. And I know my business has grown in the past five years more than I could ever dream imaginable. It's because, one, I bring in people smarter than me. And two is I look for people who have done it before me and ask them straight out, how did you get to where you're at? And they want to tell you their story. They're excited to share their secrets to, with you. That's awesome. Hey, Greg, just to follow on to that, why do you think it is? I just got back from uh, Military Creator Con and PodFest down in Orlando, awesome event. But there's a lot of mentoring and people asking for help. And, and ironically enough, most of the time, People don't ask for help, especially veterans. When they get out, they yep. don't go. They don't go to the people in the industry they want to get into and just say help. But why is it that most people that have made it love turning around and helping those that are wanting to follow behind them? I, I think the reason it's difficult for a lot of veterans is because a lot of vets are, are type A personality and, mm-hmm. and and have that ego, and that ego gets in the way. Um, like I said, you know, I'll, my perfect example is my director of training. 
the dude's better than me. <laughs> Good. I mean, uh, you know, six years on a hostage rescue team, uh, you know, uh, gone through all specialized training, working side by side with uh, both CAG and with the dev group. You know, I thought it was a, you know, a, a badass and a, and a pretty good shot. And the guy that I hired to do, do all my training, he's better than me. And you know what? I'm glad because it makes me better as well. Yeah. So uh, just, again, surround yourself with people who are better than you and, and just learn from them. And I think the reason people are so eager to give away uh, their secrets is just because of probably the same thing happened to them. It's just paying it forward that most successful people, granted, every, every successful person has gone through trials and tribulations and failures. That's how we do succeed. But uh, I think most people who have who've overcome those uh, – just don't want to see another person going through the same trials and tribulations. There may be new ones, but again, why reinvent the wheel? So I, I, I'm excited to talk to people. I get a lot of vets that call me. They, they find me on LinkedIn or, or Facebook or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they say, I want to do what you do. How do you do it? And how, you know, how do I start? That's and good I'm to hear. A, and uh, you know, I'm very excited. So here's what you need to do. And here's how to do it. And here's what I did that worked. And here's what I did that was complete and under failure. So... <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Greg. Well, thanks for sharing your story. Great, great words of advice, wisdom. Um, yeah, I encourage everybody to check out his book. Well, like I said, we'll try to put a link, uh, like an Amazon link yep. uh, for your book in the show notes. And uh, appreciate it. Look forward to your future success. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Appreciate, appreciate your listeners. And thank you for your service. And stay safe, brother. All right. Hoorah. And uh, these two veterans are Oscar Mike. Thank you for listening to Veteran on the Move, your pathfinder to freedom. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Reviews are always greatly appreciated. So until next time, this veteran is Oscar Mike.